Well, good morning. My name is Nate. If we don't know each other, I would love to meet you at some point. Um, I'll be in the lobby after the service. But I do want to invite you to come to the prayer gathering tonight. Um, if you don't have uh, plans tonight, uh, I think it will be a great time just for us to kick off the Thanksgiving week and uh, focus our attention on who God is and what he's done for us. So um, five o'clock in here, if you've got no plans, I'd love for you to join us for that. Um, next week, we are starting a Christmas series. And so uh, it's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas around here, and that will be especially true next Sunday. Um, so if you're Scrooge and hate Christmas, you're gonna be miserable the next four weeks. Um, but we would still love for you to join us. Um, but next week we uh, start this Christmas series and um, what we're gonna do in this series is look at Matthew chapter one and two, uh, but we're gonna do it in kind of a unique way. We're going to uh, first look at the genealogy of Jesus, which will be a real test. Um, and then uh, we're gonna look at the Old Testament prophecies that are quoted in Matthew one and two um, and look at them in their Old Testament context. So I think it's gonna be kind of cool. We're gonna learn about the hope that there is in Jesus. This morning, we're concluding the book of Jude. And so if you have a Bible and want to follow along, Jude verses 24 and 25 is where we'll be today. This is on page 1088 in the Bible uh, that's provided in the seats there. This text that we're looking at this morning is like the final pep talk. This is the dramatic inspirational speech before leaving the locker room is what these verses are today. Um, the book of Jude has been about the fact that as followers of Jesus, we've got to contend for the faith, verse three. Dear friends, although I was eager to write you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. Followers of Jesus are meant to fight for the faith. And the reason that it's necessary to fight is because there's all kinds of temptations that we face that would cause us to fall away from the faith or depart from the faith. And so that's the reason that we've got to fight. And then the rest of the book is basically about God's judgment that came on those from the Old Testament who fell away, who left the faith. And Jude gives us those warnings as a means to sober us and then he tells us what we looked at last week, we've gotta be diligent to keep ourselves in the love of God, to keep ourselves in the faith. And so, so far the letter has been mostly like warnings and pretty heavy stuff. But now, just before closing the letter, Jude offers a word of inspiration and hope. He's got the team together and he says, the reason that we're here is because we've got to go contend for the faith. We're about to go out of the locker room. Here's the pep talk. Now, if that is what Jude is about to do, what would you expect him to say? All right, you're going to go out into the big bad world. You're going to face a lot of temptation. And so... Here's the thing you need to remember. What's the pep talk? What's the pep talk that you've received or that you would expect to receive before a big moment in your life? Maybe before a job interview that you're nervous for 
or maybe before a meeting of some kind that's really nerve-wracking, or maybe before you have to give a big presentation of some kind, or there's something stressful that you're approaching. What kind of text do you expect to receive? What do you expect your friends or your spouse to say to you, to encourage you, to give you hope as you go into this unexpected thing? What I typically expect is something like, you got this. You can do it. You know, some version of that. You're going to be all right. You've done this kind of thing before. That's not what Jude does. Jude is about to send us out of the locker room to go out onto the field. And instead of that kind of pep talk, Jude sends us for the fight of faith by drawing attention away from our opponents and away from ourselves and onto God. Look at verse 24. Now to him who is able. Now to him who is able. Jude's closing pep talk is not about what we can do. It's about what God can do. Now think about the significance of that for just a moment. We are supposed to contend for the faith. You and I... As followers of Jesus are supposed to be able to contend. And as we go out, he says, but it's not about you. It's about him. It's not you. It's him. If you don't know anything about God, know this. He is able. He is able. He is strong. He is powerful. Do you know what our God is capable of? This is the God who, before all things, spoke and made stuff. Just by speaking, he brought the universe into existence. He set the world's dimensions. He brought order out of chaos. He created the sun, the moon, and the stars. He formed oceans, rivers, lakes, and ponds. He designed flowers and trees and vegetables. He constructed the birds and reptiles, the fish and the marine life, every single animal. He created human beings, male and female, in his image. His word makes things live. His word is powerful. That's what our God has done. That's who our God is. He's able. He's not lacking. There's never been a battle where he's called a truce. He's never had to plot and scheme how he was going to pull this one out. He's able. That's who our God is. He's the God who has toppled nations. He's split the sea. He's conquered giants. He shut the mouths of lions. He brought about a virgin birth and he raised the dead. There is nothing our God can't do. He's able. 
That's who our God is. And he is still the Lord Almighty. Now, to him who is able, now, today, God is able. Wherever you are, whenever it is, whatever the need, God is able. Are you trapped in a prison, facing a giant, caught in a storm? God is able. That is one of the big truths laid out throughout the whole Bible. Here, Jude adds two things to our list that God is able to do. Here's the first one. God is able to keep you standing while you're on earth. God is able to keep you standing while you're on earth. Look at what he says in verse 24. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling. God is able to protect you from stumbling. The word protect could be translated to keep, to guard. It's a military term. It means to to hold something fast, to protect something. God is able to hold on to you, to grab hold of you, to keep you from stumbling. The word stumble literally just means to to lose your footing. The world is a slippery place. There are all kinds of things that you could stumble into. You're supposed to contend for the faith. I'm supposed to contend for the faith. But there are all kinds of things that we could slip on. There are all kinds of false teachings that we could slip on. There are all kinds of sinful patterns that we could slip into. But God is able to protect you from stumbling. The second thing that God is able to do, it says, is to make you stand in heaven. So God is able to keep you standing on earth and he's able to make you stand in heaven. Look at what he says. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. There is a day coming when Jesus, who was crucified for sins and who was raised from the dead and who ascended to the Father, there is a day coming when Jesus will return to the earth. And on that day, he will gather the world before him to judge. And on that day, God is able to make you stand in the presence of his glory. Not with all kinds of sin and failure on you and not with all kinds of fear and dread, but God is able to make you stand on that day without blemish and with great joy. That is what God is able to do. How 
does he do that? I mean, all throughout the scriptures, when people encounter God's glory, they fall face down. That's what's, what's supposed to happen. How is it possible for human beings like us to stand before his glory, not with dread, not with fear, not ashamed, but to stand with joy? How is that possible? It's possible because God is our savior and it's possible through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Verse 25. Because of what Jesus has done, we can stand. God is the one who's able to do that because God is the one who sent his son. Jesus came to the earth and he died in the place of sinners, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God on this day so that you can stand with great joy. And this will not just be a joyous day for you, but also for him because it was his love that sent his son. So Jude adds two things to our list that God is able to do. God is able to keep you standing on earth and God is able to make you stand in heaven. He can keep you from falling away from the faith while you're on earth and he can escort you to heaven. He can escort you to this day. So in Jude we get a quick snapshot of a tension that's present throughout all scripture. The tension is this. On the one hand, Jude is writing all of these warnings. He's telling us to contend for the faith, to keep ourselves in the faith. Keep yourselves in the love of God. On the one hand, he's giving us these commands. And then on the other hand, he's saying, and God is able to do it. God will keep us. So keep yourselves in his love. In the New Testament, here's just a couple examples of this. We're commanded to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But alongside this command is this, Philippians 2, verse 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. Here's another example. Again, there's a lot of these. The apostle Paul is writing and he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, referring to the other apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So which is it? Are we supposed to work? Or is God supposed to work? Is keeping yourself in God's love your work or God's work? Is persevering in the faith something that you do or something that God does? 
Is you contending for the faith something that you do or something that God does in you? And the answer is yes. Yes. Our salvation as a whole is entirely a work of God. Working out salvation is a work of both God and us. Here's how salvation works. Each of us on our own do not seek God. Left on our own, we are born with a disposition that causes us to want our will, not God's will. We are born with a disposition to say, I know best, he doesn't know best. We're born with a disposition that says, God's word is not true, my word is true. On our own, no one seeks God. The New Testament describes this by saying, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That is, inactive, motionless. What do dead people need? Do they need laws to be read to them? No. Why? Because laws don't work for dead people. Do they need more education? Do they need to be taught so that they can get out of their patterns of sin and learn to? No, because education doesn't work for dead people. What do we need to be saved if we're dead? We need life. And that's how God saves us. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. That is how God saves us. We were dead, but God brings us to life. And how does he bring us to life? He brings us to life through his word. His word, the gospel, the message of Jesus is the power of God for salvation. God makes dead people alive by giving them ears to hear the word. And when they receive the word with faith, it's like it plants something in them. They, they become a new person. That's how salvation works. And when that word is heard and believed with faith, when the message of Jesus and his death and resurrection for sinners, when that is heard and believed, we're made right with God. This is 100% a work of God. God saves us from our sins in his son, Jesus. We grow in godliness then by hearing and obeying God's word, by walking with the spirit. And this is a work that we do and a work that God does in us. So the first part of what we just described in salvation is called regeneration and justification. Regeneration and justification. These are big theological words but 
hopefully they're helpful. Regeneration is when God brings dead people to life. Justification is when God declares sinners as righteous or good in his sight based on Christ and what he has done. Regeneration and justification take place by faith. Then there's an aspect of salvation that we call sanctification. Sanctification just means being made holy, becoming like God. That's all the word means. And once we've been brought from death to life, suddenly we're now new creatures who walk in new ways, who learn to walk with God, who learn to obey God's word, who learn to do things the way that God would have us to do them. And this work of learning to walk with God is a work of God and us. God is the one working in us. And then on the last day, God will finish his work of sanctification. When Jesus returns, God will finish his work of saving us from our sins. And he will transform us into the likeness of his glorious resurrected body. We call that glorification. And everyone that God calls, he keeps on the last day. Those that he calls, he keeps. Look at Jude 1. Jude verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are called, loved by God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Those who are called are also kept. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified written in the past tense about something that is still in the future. Why? Because it's a guaranteed fact. Those that God calls, he also keeps. A pastor named H.B. Charles says this, the steadfast perseverance of the saints is enabled by God's sovereign preservation of the saints. Let me say that again. The steadfast perseverance of the saints, that is me and you being diligent to build ourselves up in the faith, to pray in the Holy Spirit, to wait expectantly for his mercy, to keep ourselves in the love of God. Our steadfast perseverance is enabled by God's sovereign preservation of the saints. God has determined that those he has called, he will keep. Does that make your or my steadfastness any less real or any less necessary? No. And that's the tension. So as Jude wraps up his message, to contend for the faith, to hold to the faith, to keep yourself in the love of God, to build yourself up in the faith. As he wraps up his message, 
He says, do not forget the one who has called you. He will keep you. And it is his keeping of you. It is his holding of you. It is the fact that he is holding fast to you that enables you to hold. Richard Sibbs was a Puritan and there's this wonderful quote where he tries to help us get this. Listen closely to this. The whole chain of God's love so holds that all the creatures in heaven and earth cannot break a link of it. Therefore, never doubt its continuance, for it holds firm on God's part, not yours. God embraces us in the arms of his everlasting love, not that we embraced him first. Listen to this. When the child falleth not, it is from the mother's holding the child and not from the child's holding the mother. So it is God's holding of us, knowing of us, embracing of us, and justifying of us that makes the state firm and not ours. For ours is but a reflection and a result of his. When my little girl, a tiny little girl, is in her mom's arms, what is the holding that makes her secure, Sib says? Is it the fact that she is clinging so tightly to mom or is it the fact that mom is clinging to her? He says, that's how it is with God. Does it make your clinging any less real? Any less important? No. But God's hold, God's hold is the one that stands firm. So the question is, if God is able, do you trust him? In Matthew chapter nine, Jesus goes into the house of these two blind men. And he says, they say, we wanna see. And he says, do you believe that I am able? It's the same word able here. Do you believe that I am able? And that is the question presenting to you now. Do you believe that God is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy? Do you believe that he is able? 
there are all kinds of reasons that you or I may be prone to wander from God, to wander from his love. Maybe your circumstances right now would make you prone to wander. Maybe something with a health challenge that you're facing. Maybe something about relationships that you are enduring, whether that be a friendship or something with your parents. Maybe someone that you love who's hurt you. Maybe someone that you love that you've lost. Maybe there are financial struggles. And in, face of, in the face of, of these challenges, there's a little part of you that is prone to wander. There's a little part of you that your faith is, it's prone to fail you. You're supposed to contend for the faith, but in light of these circumstances, you're prone to leave. Maybe it's as simple as sitting down to have time with God in the scriptures and you feel nothing. You just feel dry. Your heart is cold. Do you believe that he is able to keep you? Maybe the thing that has caused you to wander is your sin. And because you're caught up in it, you feel stuck. And it's actually easier to change what you believe than to change the sin. A seared conscience is the mother of all heresies. And in the face of that sin, you feeling caught and stuck, you're prone to wander because do you believe that God is able to keep you? He is able. And if that truth hits you and feels like a license to keep living in your sin, you don't actually get the truth of that. The love of God will hold even in the face of difficult circumstances and devastating sin. He is able to protect you and present you. So turn from your doubts. Turn from your sin and trust him. Because he is able he is worthy of all worship. 
Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen, he says. God, because he's able, is worthy of exclusive praise. He's the only God. He alone can save. Are you tempted to follow some other false God? It will not save you. It will fail you on the last day. But God can save. And so God alone is worthy of your life. God alone is worthy of your singing. God alone is worthy of your love because God is able. He's worthy of exclusive praise. He's worthy of the highest praise. Glory be to him. That is splendor and honor and weightiness and all worth and value. Majesty be to him. That is his right to rule. He's not just a king, he's the king of kings. He's not just a lord, he's the lord of lords. He's the highest. That's his majesty. His power and authority are his reign that enables him to do all that he does in the world, however he pleases. He is God. He is worthy of the highest praise and he is worthy of unending praise. To, on, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority when? Before all time, now, and forever. He's worthy of unending praise. And so would this not just be something that you hear and, re- and think, oh yeah, I remember. I remember when I gave my life to Christ. Give your life to Christ today, dude. Like, I know what people mean when they say that, but, but he is worthy of praise now, today, and forever. So for us to be a community of people who contends for the faith, who makes a difference in the world for the sake of Christ, we must be a community who worships the one true God. So let's practice now. Would you pray with me? Father, we do praise you. for being a God who is able. God, you are not deficient. God, you are not like us. And God, I praise you that you have sent your son and in his name you have called. God, thank you for calling me Thank you for calling us. And God, thank you for keeping us. As you hold fast to us, God, 
would you strengthen us to hold fast to you? By the power of your spirit, the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead, would you give life to our mortal bodies? Would you help us to walk in holiness, in obedience, and worship? It's in Jesus' name that I ask. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?